Welcome to the Wise Men Say podcast. Uh, I'm Gareth Barker. No Stephen tonight, but um, he was ably replaced uh, in the form of two other people. And we're joined by Richard Easterbrook. Hello. Hello. And Mickey Loff. Hello. Are you all well? Uh, as well as can be, yeah. Yeah. Got a cold. Worried, yeah. Might have the the old the old corona. Who knows? I'd like to get a test, but you know. (laughs) Good. Good luck with that. Not allowed. Unless you drive to like Andover. The drive to Uh, Dundee in your bare feet. Yeah, which is of course is the country. (laughs) Is that Mickey's clock? What on earth? Is that the church bells you can hear? Was that church bells? Yeah, the church bells. Yeah, I live about um, like 30 seconds away from a church and the bells go off every quarter of an hour, like all the way through the night as well. (laughs) That's that's (laughs) generous of them, isn't it? Yeah, so obviously, as you know, I'm not the best sleeper in the world, so it's brilliant. I think we've got to the bottom of why now. It's it's just great having a quarter hourly reminder that you haven't slept yet. It's like, oh, great, it's four o'clock. It's 4.15. You're still not asleep. Well, he's going to be daylight soon. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that, we're, like, we're going to have to put like a vote to to the listeners as to what is the best, what has been the best uh, auxiliary guest over the yeah. last sort of six months. Church bells probably could rival chainsaw. Yeah, Frank's a dog. And, yeah, or just dog in Stephen's garden. Mm. Stephen's washing machine, a strong contender. Very that got a good reaction. So yeah, ice cream van. Ice cream. There's a man. There's just a man over the back in his house, like doing an extension. Um, and well, there's another man there is helping him right. now. It looks pretty good, actually. To be fair, a dormer extension, and uh, so I've had to close the window. And because it's like the hottest day in the last seven weeks or something, I'm now melting as we record this. So that's a nice contrast to the um, potential COVID. But we should probably talk about the football. Yeah, um, and we opened. <clears throat> the season with a a one all draw, uh, keeping up our um, record of being terrible uh, at winning on the opening day of the season. I think we've only won once in the last must be eleven years on the opening day of the season. I think or two, two twice in the last eleven years. I think it was Bolton. Bolton I think we won away from Charlton, home and, yeah. and and obviously Charlton. Um, yep. So yeah, it wasn't in. A, a huge surprise that we went into the game expectant and, and hopeful of a good start and then it, it didn't work out with being here before. Um but you know what the the a lot of mixed views on the game um across social media, um generally in terms of how we played and the result itself. I mean, Richard, start with you. What what was your initial sort of gut instinct after that? I think initially, obviously I was I was massively disappointed um just because i'd kind of forgotten how to be uh how to support football team <laughs> during a match you know because i've watched so much football during lockdown i've not had a vested interest in the team and as soon as it became my team again i, I think i reacted differently to how i usually react um so i, I threw threw a plastic bottle across the house when uh when dobson was sent off um and i, I was just i was just really like disproportionately disappointed at full-time whistle but um over the weekend, I've obviously processed it a bit more, and I've, I've, I feel that it could obviously could have been a lot worse. Um, and I think we did enough in that performance to win in that game to win. Um, 
and you know ju- there were just factors that that made made sure we didn't. Um, but I'm not I'm not losing sleep over it. Well, you don't live next to a church, <laughs> so that's you know yeah, not you know, to, com- <laughs> yeah, to compound it. Yeah, but, I don't I don't think Mickey is a hunchback, um, <laughs> but we'll come to him <laughs> next. Um, and <clears throat> yeah, I th- obviously we we did put a poll out um, after the game because there were a lot of contrasting views in in the group chat. Primarily, Mickey, you were on a stronger detractors of the of the result and performance have you calmed down at all you're still are you still sort of on a nine out of ten on the fume scale <laughs> you should be used to my post-match tantrums in the group chat <laughs> yeah, by now to yeah. be fair but um it leaked no, into sunday but this one as well to be fair so <laughs> it did a little bit but um yeah I, I can't disagree with what richard said about that we did deserve to win the game but on the other hand, against Bristol Rovers, who, let's not forget, before they beat us, just before the lockdown, had been on a run, I think, where they'd won one game in about 15 or 16. So they're one of the poorer teams in the division, so we should be having a lot of the ball and we should be creating a lot of chances. Um, so I think it, my disappointment is that it was very much typical of Parkinson last season, whereby if we don't steamroll a team and uh, two or three nil up by half-time, it can often be very problematic to break teams down. So I think it was that was I think my biggest bugbear that nothing really had changed since last season despite the new arrivals, and I just think it was a little bit like stale and we didn't do enough really from the bench or on the pitch to try and like change things to to get the win. I think that was my biggest annoyance. I mean, we'll come back to the point of changes shortly. I, mean, I, I, I take your point on the the um, you know the inability to to break teams down to an extent, but we have shown in games. You know, during that decent run last season where we've had to stick in games and we've managed to come out on top. Bristol Rovers was one of them. Yeah. Um uh, obviously Oxford was scored early, but that was it wasn't so much a back to the wall performance. Generally it was a pretty even game and then, you know, the other one obviously comes to mind is Ipswich, um, where we stuck at it, stuck at it and we finally got a goal through Chris Maguire and um, with about ten minutes to go, so we have kind of worn teams down um, <clears throat> previously. Um, I'll take your point about, you know, you can argue about were the chances we created in this game on Saturday that good. Some people will say, well, you know, the goal was a shot from distance. Um, obviously, Power's effort against the post was from distance. Um, but, you know, the stats... We had seventy-two percent possession. We had twenty-five shots, but again, we we didn't win. We didn't win the game, and and that's going to be the irritant for for many people who are on the the Parkinson out side. And that that's a it sounds like some might say, well, that sounds ridiculous after one game. But I mean, Mick, you you can talk about this. It's not after one game, is it? Why people are having this opinion? It's not, like I say, it's a little bit of a hangover from last season, not only the start that we had under him, but also the kind of four games before lockdown where we performed pretty poorly. Um, look, I mean, as much as I'm not Phil Parkinson's biggest fan, I made that quite clear, I don't want them to be sacked. I think we were talking before we came on, Gareth, if it was a decision made like in the near future where he was dismissed, I wouldn't lose sleep over it, but... I'm not actively well. calling for his head at this stage, <laughs> but well. I do. But I do. But I do think you might. That, you might if he was employed at the church and. Uh... 
I just to ring you know, the bells. I just think like the the next few games are crucial for, and I think why I was maybe a little bit more frustrated than maybe I should have been on Saturday was because for me that was the most favourable of our first five fixtures, and for me it was imperative to win that game, get a good start, get some momentum building. And although we struggled at the weekend, our next two games, I believe, are Oxford and Peterborough, who a lot of people have tipped to be up there near the top of the league. So if we do follow this up with a couple of disappointing results, the rock and setting very quickly and straight away we're going into a new season on the back foot and people are questioning the manager, people are obviously questioning things at board level still. So it's just not really good at this stage of the season to already be kind of talking about, oh, well, if we don't win our next two or three games, the manager's under enormous pressure. I think I'm on the other side of things in terms of, of pressure on, on, on Parkinson. I think this this summer has been such such you know, an, an unusual set of circumstances that it's really difficult to kind of say, right, if if we were in form at the end of last season, which we weren't, we need to continue that going into, you know, whenever the new season starts. I, I think it's really difficult to kind of compare one thing to another. Um and that said, you know, Parkinson's had this summer to to build a new team or to add to it it's still very early days in that respect you know they haven't played that much competitive football they haven't played that much uncompetitive football so while they'll still be you know full of full of fitness because of all they've been doing over the summer is running um you know it, it it might not yet come together on the pitch and that's shown you know across the league with the the so-called front runners uh, with the exception of ips which you know failed to win at the weekend so I don't think we're on that much of a back foot as 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 you might think. But that said, we do have a few difficult fixtures coming up, and um, we need to kind of back ourselves to get get results out of them. Because um, as Mick says, we could be looking at in October, kind of thinking, well, that's a terrible start, and the pressure may build on Parkinson. But at the moment, I don't think it's too much for us to be getting worried about. I think with the problem Parkinson has got, and the problem that. Maybe people having formed an opinion on Parkinson is probably because last season didn't finish. So you've your barometer for that person, their success, it was incomplete. So you haven't got like a well, we failed to we failed to get into the playoffs or we failed to get promoted. The season was ended and yes we didn't get in but people say you can easily argue well we're three points off second with eight games to go we could have easily got into the playoffs in that time and people if we if the season had completed as normal people might have had a very different opinion um, of Phil Parkinson's season or if it had completed people you say look he's been brought in to do a better job than Jack Ross and ultimately he's done a worse job than Jack Ross but because he hasn't had that opportunity to to finish his work it's almost like people are kind of in limbo and having a a rational view on him and it's it's a really odd situation and now we're kind of in a you know I was saying in the group chat you know I believe you know my view is always like start the season let's see after 10 games where we are you know we've got three sort of tough games coming up next um, two teams, ironically, that while well, I was saying the tough games lost to Accrington and and uh, Lincoln City uh, the weekend. Now, dread to think what the state of uh, the social media would have been like if we'd gone away to Accrington and lost two nil, or you know, absolutely yeah. gone to Lincoln and lost two nil. Um, you know, so 
these teams, like you say, Richard, are struggling as well. Um, you know how we've got, and then we got Charlton after that. So this isn't trying to be negative about Parkinson, by the way, or trying to instigate some sort of rebellion against the manager. People are out there discussing the position of the manager already, and that's probably because of the bad start he had last year, and people are just a bit remain unconvinced by the appointment from the outset. How many games has he got this season um, to to convince people? A question for any one of you can oh, talk. Right. I thought it was just rhetorical. No, no, well, be a bit of a lame podcast if it was just yeah. one of rhetorical <laughs> just, questions. Just you I mean, I wouldn't, need, well, I wouldn't need either of you. And just moving on. <laughs> yeah, Gareth, yeah. Gareth Moral Mears. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exa- absolutely. That's out next week. So <laughs> if you. Well, I'll put it out on here first. Um, yes, so one of, one of you talk about that thing that I just said. I think, I think as if we get through these fixtures with, you know, with with a few points under our belt, we we'll get get off to a, get off get another win under get a win under our belts. Obviously, that puts a different complexion on things. Um, but if if we if we fail to win any of them, and it's looking bleak. You know, early October. That's what. That's t- three weeks away, isn't it? So, mm. so I, I say, I, I think a month, a month before you know, serious questions have started to being asked. Um, as I say, I'm not, I'm not asking those questions myself yet. Um, if we, but, if we took one point from the next three games, you'd be asking questions, wouldn't you? If we take seven, for example, I think people would be happy. Yeah, but if I came away with like four, I'd be all right. Really? I'd be too worried. One win and two away draws, maybe. From the next game. Well, it's five, not four points. So, it's not quite, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, all right, Steve Agnew's still confused about the concept of two points for a win there, Richard. So, yeah. a bit of a hangover from the Premier Passions <laughs> point part there. Um, yeah. So, like my my view is really we need to take to con- really convince people that would mean business this season. But the three opponents we got coming up. My personal belief is we need to take seven points from the next three games. I don't know what you think, Mickey. No, I agree. And I think kind of the next five games is probably quite the fair sample size because our target is promotion. And um, like I made a point on Twitter on Saturday, I remember under Jack Ross, myself included, sometimes we'd come on podcasts and we'd win games and we'd be discussing saying, are these performances enough? And when we were drawing quite a lot of games, you're saying, oh, well, is this enough? We need to be winning games. And we need to keep on setting that standard. We can't just say that because Parkinson had a really poor start that we now accept anything else as an improvement. I think we still need to think to ourselves, promotion is our ultimate ambition. And in order to do that, like you said, we do need to be picking up like six, seven points out of our next few games. On the flip side, I think if we do get six points or more out of our next few games, Parkinson arguably even builds up a little bit of cash in the bank because they are tough games against teams who are going to be our challengers this season. So hopefully we'll be able to get a result at Oxford and then kind of like build a stronger foundation for our season from there. There he is, the hunchback of Ryep. He's back again. <laughs> the bells, the bells. Oh, Mickey Love. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Gone. I've gone again. Um, so <laughs> that is ludicrous, Mickey. I mean, it's great. I mean, 
I lo- I, I'm a big fan of it. Um, how long did you, how, like, that's a lot of chimes for 15 minutes. It is, so what it does on the hour, it does, like, the, like, gongs according to, like, what time it is, so there we've just had the five gongs for five o'clock, and then every quarter of an hour it does the kind of, like, reminder that quarter of an hour's gone by. Is time that important in Riot? (laughs) (laughs) 15 minutes has gone by. No, Um, it is quite mad. I mean, last time I was on the podcast, obviously, like, the... Not obviously, but they'd actually stopped working, so it was absolutely like brilliant and peaceful. But then the they started up again the other day, which was even worse because when they were testing it, the bells would just ring about like twelve times randomly for no reason, as if it was having some form of like seizure. So it was. <laughs> I mean, you need to be doing something about that. Have a have a word. <laughs> what what, what can he do? Have a have a word with him. Have a <laughs> have a word with the church. It is a yeah. bit inconvenient. Um, surely if it's a digital thing they could resolve it but anyway we should probably move on um, maybe they just keep it because otherwise soon. by the time we're finished talking about that one we're going to be on to the next set of bells yeah. um, which you know again we'll end up having to talk about yeah we'll um, just talk through the next ones yeah um, so on the the game itself actually i tell you what we're going to do we'll have a little break and then we'll come back and get back into the game because we've kind of haven't even began to discuss any of the individual elements of the game uh, so when we come back uh, we'll get stuck in and we'll, I'm sure Mickey has got some interesting opinions on uh, his friend Lee Burge Hi this is Kieran Brady and you're listening to the Wise Men Say podcast So you see all of the uh, I know that the influencers uh, might claim influence on this because the, the fact that they do the, um, the From the Terraces podcast of course I'm referring to uh, the idiots, Rory and Matthew, they like to refer to themselves as the influencers. We call them the idiots for obvious reasons. Um, the fact that they refer to themselves as influencers is within that sort of bracket. Um, <clears throat> but Max Powers being wearing the From the Terraces. Now Sky Sports, Tom White, he's on the television with his uh, From the Terraces um, long-sleeve uh, polo, which are, again, as I always say, high-quality items. Uh, I have two of the long sleeve uh, polos, which I'm a big fan of. I know, Mickey, you've got a, a wardrobe full of from the terraces gear, so <laughs> you know you could fully endorse them, and uh, we all fully endorse from the terraces. So if you head over to from uh, from the terraces dot uk and use uh, the uh, checkout code WMS10, you'll get ten percent off your basket. Um, also follow them on Twitter at Terraces From. And when you go on the website as well, subscribe to the mailing list because you might even come across some better deals than the WMS10 offer. Um, but it, you know, they are great products as sported by the likes of your Max Powers, your Tom Whites of this world. Um, however, one person who is banned from using the WMS10 code is Lee Burge, at least for the next 10 days, uh, because I don't Agreed. think Chris would want to sully his brand. Um, after his performance at the weekend, um, you're obviously going to have a lot of pressure um, once you've removed a goalkeeper of the standard of John McLaughlin to replace him. Um, and we've decided we'll bring in Matthews and go with Burge. Um, now, he put in some decent performances last season, didn't he? Burge in some of the cup games. I remember Burnley; he had a he had a really good game. <clears throat> some he was a bit iffy. 
Um, and he did have a brief spell in the first team when John McLaughlin had a little bit of a wobble. Um, but when you've come into the team as you were the number two, now you come in as the number one, you want to make sure that you convince people in your first game, I'm the number one, and then after three minutes, you're one nil down, and he's made three mistakes in five seconds. Incredible, isn't it? How much cash in the bank does Lee Burge have, Michael? I, cer- I certainly don't think it would be a good move to drop him or save his places under threat at this stage because I think that that's not sending out a very good message. If you've said to Burge, look, you're my number one, then after one mistake you suggesting that his place is under threat, then that's not very good man management. So for now, I think he's still got the shirt, but he's certainly got to really improve because I just don't think that Burge particularly inspires me anywhere, regardless of his performance on Saturday. I don't like the fact that he seems pretty much glued to his line all the time, like when the ball's in the penalty area and pinging the well, round. He, I mean, he the, pro- the, pro- the problem was with the goal that he wasn't glued to his line. Yeah. He came yeah. off the line yeah, but, like but this, a madman. But but this is it, though. With him, there seems to be very little kind of balance. He either comes like charging off his line to try and get a ball, which he realistically has no chance of getting, or, he's, or he like remains on his line, which is really not very good. Whereas McLaughlin, I'm not saying he was absolutely flawless, but one thing about McLaughlin, he was quite a common influence. And I just think Burge, every time the ball's near our penalty area, I do get a little bit anxious. And I do think... The goalkeeper is certainly one area that we've massively downgraded him because I think that Lee Burge was an absolutely fine number two goalkeeper. But we had John McLaughlin, who's one of the best in the division, who's now breaking clean sheen records with Rangers. Um, I don't care what you think about the level, it's still a good achievement to uh, okay. have the run of clean sheets that he's had and to play for a club the size of Rangers with the expectation that goes with that. Um, and Benny Matthews, he's come in with his confidence pretty much on the bottom after he's been at Bolton, getting battered every week for the past season or so. So, as I say, I'm not Burge's biggest fan by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think Parkinson's got to show a little bit of faith with him if he is to see him as our number one going forward. But I would go as far as to say that our lack of a quality goalkeeper could even cost us promotion this season. I think it's that big of a deal. I mean, that that is a... The worry I had, I mean, me and Richard have butted heads over the McLaughlin thing. Um, Absolutely. I mean, Richard could present his opinion, if he wishes, on 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 goalkeepers at this level, you know, generally, if you want to. <clears throat> yeah, I, I mean, I was of the opinion that it wouldn't be too difficult to, to recruit a goalkeeper that could catch and distribute the ball and do the necessary basics. Um, you know, we're we're going to have one of the strongest defences in the league. Um I mean I I was surprised with, with, with Burge. Um because I always thought he was steady away. I I don't think we need anything too spectacular. We probably had a player in McLaughlin that was maybe too good for the league. Um despite the fact he'd only played one season outside of this league before. So, you know, I was I thought he was he was a good goalkeeper. Um and that recruiting another good goalkeeper would be a fairly simple task. Uh, so far, maybe maybe that's that's, that's not the case. <laughs> who who um, did you who, who did you give a glowing um, uh, well, glowing report of Richard? Yes. Uh, at the start of the eighteen nineteen yes. season, was it? Yes, I did go on record as to saying that <laughs> that Jason Steele was a good signing, and I think I I might have even said something along the lines of a great acquisition for the money that we paid for him, which was. Considering now, like half a million quid. 
pretty pretty nuts really but you know there's there's you know the the loan market is still a possibility um you know there's goalkeepers in the premier league that'll be kicking the heels let's you know let's let's be casting the net now i heard you know what matt said on uh, on saturday after the uh, in the reaction pod <coughs> The, you know, maybe we should be shopping for a new goalkeeper. We've got two at the moment, plus plus the kids. It might be, it might be a situation that we might need to look at. I just um, think there's no, there's no chance of that happening. That until, unless, the only way that's going to happen is that these two are so bad between now and in yeah. January that they have to. In similarly to how we ended up with Lee Camp, um, yeah. because they had problems with Reuter and Steele. Um, it'll so, only, it'll, it'll be a reactionary move based on performance. Because yeah. I wanted um, Sarkic, didn't I? Who's I saw actually got in the the Tom White's transfer show team of the week for transfers that had been made over the summer in the first game or something. I don't know how it works. Um, and yeah, Sarkic was in there because he kept a clean sheet uh, for Shrewsbury. Maybe we couldn't guarantee Sarkic first team football um, because Burge was kind of or thinking he's in possession of the shirt or we'd already kind of made that decision internally before Matthews came in um, mm. I don't know um, but uh, you're right Richard in that in that uh, yeah that there are options out there but you could you, there's just no chance it, like Mickey says about confidence mm. it's not going to do those two any good if you, or no, you think not. well I'm going to bring in another goalkeeper I, I didn't know. think it was going to be that big a deal until, obviously, the first three minutes. Um, and then, obviously, the, the Remy Matthews thought, incident in the, in the friendly yeah, as well. That, that's, you know, that's a pre-season game. But just, a ball, just, yeah. just a ball come at you at a different speed in a pre-season game. I, 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 mean, I think in a pre-season game as well, I think everybody who was at the Celtic 5-0 um, and saw Jason Seals' performance in the pre-season game would probably read mm. a lot into there. A performance in pre-season, but I take that, I take your point. That, that game came three days after I said that Jason Steele was a good. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, I think we need to write off Richard's opinions on goalkeepers. <laughs> or and I've seen Richard keep goal before as well, and he's a good shot stopper, but his distribution is appalling. Um, yeah. <clears throat> on the flip, on, side, on the flip yeah. side, Burge's shot stopping is appalling, but his distribution is is, is better than McLaughlin. Well, I mean he. He's definitely better at kicking the ball up the field than trying to catch a ball that's going towards the goal, as we saw. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was quite an incredible um, effort to just find himself in no man's land and then a really pathetic save from the uh, the strike on goal, dropping it at the feet of somebody who he then decides to rugby tackle. So, I mean, it was almost the Ron Burgundy, you ate a whole wheel of cheese, I'm not mad. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Sort of, sort of yeah. ballpark, really. Yeah. Um, I, I come on to more to do with the individual players shortly. Not so much individual players, actually. Just you know, certain moments in the game that <clears throat> raise question marks. Um, and some of the negatives and positives in the performance. But Phil Parkinson and Max Powell both made comments after the game, and if anyone was watching the stream would have seen <clears throat> Phil Parkinson approach the just a man who manages um, Bissar Rovers, I can't even remember what he's called, um, pointing at him, wagging his finger, 
uh, before he even bumped fists. So at least he like didn't do the the Marcus no handshake. Um, but he, he was not happy at all. Obviously came out and sort of had a go at them straight away in the post match. Uh, Max Powers kind of said the same this week and there's been a lot of kind of talk about whether or not this is an excuse. Now, there's two parts of this thing where they were shocking Bristol Rovers that did sort of essentially like cheating at, at the weekend. But this isn't new. This isn't a new problem. And I think there's two parts no. of this. It's where, firstly, it's not a new problem and it's something people say, well, you know, you've just got a cope with it. You've got to deal with it. I, I agree, but at the same time, it's down to the referee as well to do things in the game to stop it from escalating. And Max Power made some very good points, I think, um, about how they booked the goalkeeper in the 98th minute for time wasting. Yeah. Now. Who then continued time waste? Who then continued time waste? So there's no, there's no. The referees have got to set the tone. It was actually the beef, the beefcake referee, as I like to call him. Um, anyone who has listened to the pod before will see he's got a tremendous back. I mean, this guy, he's actually called Anthony Backhouse, and he definitely <laughs> should be wearing a Gordland's gym, gym T-shirt instead of a refereeing gear because he is ripped and he's got hair plugs, sort of, which I really enjoy. So it was nice to see him, but he has sent off two of our players in the games that he's refereed because he sent off Max Power down at Bradford as well, I remember. Um, so how do... Where where do you you know I'll come to you Mickey first. Where do you kind of sit on this this issue that we're going to have to repeatedly deal with as the season goes on at the stadium at the stadium of light in particular? I think I'm actually quite pleased to see Parkinson call it out for what it is, and I think that it's not unhealthy to see his reaction towards Bristol Rovers bench because. One thing Parkinson gets criticised for is a lack of kind of charisma and outward emotion, etc. But that clearly showed that he does care and it does mean a lot to him when um, team, our team gets frustrated by the antics. But yeah, we do need to just learn to kind of deal with it better and cope with it because last season it happened so many times and it can't become a self-fulfilling prophecy whereby we see a team do a bit of time wasting early on and we think, oh, we're going to do it all game. How are we ever going to break them down? We're going to go right sod them if that's like what they've got. If they've got a result of that, we've got to show that we're a quality football team at this level and we've got the players to break these, this team down and we need to go out there and prove that. And like you say, Gareth, we did that on occasion last season, like Bristol Rovers at home where we won 3-0 and when we beat Tramier and teams like that. So I do think that it's a valid <coughs> criticism, but we do just need to put it to one side and say, look, we can't use this as an excuse every week. We've got to go out there and break these teams down because if we'd won the game with um, a couple of late goals, we wouldn't be talking about the time wasting. We did so, get eight minutes added on as well. So yeah. yeah. But they could have stopped, you know, I think it's disrupting the flow of the game that, you know, the, the feather who rolled off the pitch and then rolled back on again about five mm. times. Yeah, Leahy. You know, stuff like that. And, you know, it's. I mean, it's embarrassing, really. And, you know, it I is. think it's really poor. Like, I mean, it that is. was the. What I think the two in a bit years in, in the division, I would say that was the worst I've seen and slightly outstripped Wickham um, in the. In the the first season we had where we drew 1-1 at their place where it was just a joke. Um, yeah. I think they probably thought they could get away with a bit more with there not being any fans in. 
you know, the dark yeah. arts, which is usually something that, you know, if, if the referee doesn't see something and the linesman doesn't see something, the fans will certainly let them know that there's something going on, but there was nothing, there was nothing there. There was no kind of, well, the only person that could like, that could, that had our back really was, was Parkinson or, or our players. So yeah. it's, it's disappointing to see. I'm not surprised though. It's just, yeah. it, it just, it's just, it is something yeah. that we'll keep on complaining about if we let teams in early on and, and give ourselves a mountain to climb. If, I, I so, you know, if, if we're starting the front foot and start, you know, and take take our game to, to teams rather than kind of starting on the back foot like we always do, or like we mostly do. We don't talk about time wasted because we'll be ahead anyway. So I, I do agree, Paul, that referees must start taking responsibility for yeah. this because it is an absolute joke. I mean, you say it all the way up, all the way up from kind of like park football to the Premier League. If you play against a team who know they can get away with it because they will try it on early on. And if we get away with it, we'll take the we'll take the make just a little bit more and a little bit more. Then you get to a situation where they just try it on so much that the referee will eventually boot them in stoppage time, but they've already killed the game by then. And I get what you mean, Gareth, about we've got the eight minutes of added time, but every time they're time-wasting, they're not only wasting minutes on the clock, but they're killing momentum and yeah. they're killing the yeah. flow of our game. Yeah, I, meant, I mentioned that. and also <clears throat> I think there was about a, a minute stoppage for the sending off within at least within the, with the eight minutes and there wasn't a second more added on. Um, send off away the, when, I mean, you know, given the churches across the road, he's probably worth mentioning, but a more miraculous recovery than Jesus Christ. Uh, when um, <laughs> Dobson went through him and yeah, it, you know watching it again, it probably was a um, it was probably was a, a red card. He rolled around, clutching its leg for about three seconds, and then le- leapt up. Um, yeah. You know, hallelujah, and off he went. Um, and you know, they all managed to get him, you know, sent off on that. Well, actually, no, we'll, we'll, we'll come to the, the send off that we should have had, um, shortly because I want to cover something else off as well within that point. But, um, going back to the comments of Parkinson and Power, I want to move on to Power and some of the comments that he's made, um, about the supporters and if we were in there. And you know, as we were as we were building pressure in the game, we'd be getting behind them and, and lifting them. Now, I want to bring that on particular because, especially going back to the mistake that Burge made at the start, um, and you know, some comments from in a recent meeting with the Red and White Army and others um, that one of our board of directors made about our supporters um, <clears throat> is that it's interesting that the captain of the team. Is full of praise for the supporters in the stadium, and yes, we all get frustrated sometimes in the game. But it's interesting that you know we're not talking about supporters getting on the back of someone like Lee Burge for his mistake or causing a negative atmosphere that would make him make a mistake. And we've got the captain of the team saying, actually, firstly, if we'd had the fans in, we would have you know felt that lift and build momentum, looking for that equaliser and the winner, and secondly, putting pressure on on the referee to actually do something about the time wasting and the, and the cheating from, from Bristol Rovers. I don't know if anybody, any, either of you got any opinions on that. Yeah, I kind of thought along similar lines to Max on Saturday when we did get the equaliser because when you get a late goal but you've still got sufficient time to win a game, it can build up a very good atmosphere. And I was just thinking that when we got the goal 
and then Power had that shot himself and hit the underside of the bar just minutes later. Could you imagine like the roar within that stadium when we're building the pressure and getting the corners? And then when the eight minute the board went up with eight minutes at a time, there would have been like another kind of like surge of like atmosphere and noise and that might have just got us over the line, you'll you never know. And I do think that maybe we're gonna be hit more than most by the lack of fans because I understand that we can be a little bit demanding to play in front of at times, but I think much more importantly that with very little to get behind it, we will get behind it. Every corner gets like really cheered, like every 50-50 tackle there's a big roar goes up. And I do think it's great for building momentum and it's a, and I think our support's one of the biggest assets we've got. So yeah. I do think it's going to be difficult maybe in games like that when teams come to just kind of spoil and frustrate us. There was a moment in the first half when um, when Maguire um, broke clear, got a good first touch and broke clear on the left and uh, put a ball across face the goal for uh, for Greg, but it was just behind him. And I think that would have been a real moment, you know, attacking the North Stand. The crowd would have been would have been on it then. Yeah. You know, it just just missed Greg, but I think there would have been a little bit of a little bit of good feeling from it. Uh, that that's that's the moment for me that kind of made it just start to feel too surreal. Um, and that it would be a factor. I didn't think it would be that much of a factor because you, you know when players are on the pitch, they're, they're supposedly in the zone. But having the kind of support behind you, it does push them on. Um, well, you've got extrinsic motivators, haven't you? That's the as the the terminology goes, and obviously we are one of them. Um, and it's down to the individual as well how they they use that, and you know whether it be criticism or or positive stuff, and. You know, made this point. You know, the the question was brought up ironically by the the person who uh, was critical uh, from the board at one of our live pods, and I was made the point. Look, it's we can talk about supporters getting players and and sort of making it difficult for them, but at the same time, you don't have to do an awful lot at Sunderland for people to to get behind you. You can turn up somebody's opinion on you in, in 45 minutes of football and and then you don't even have to do that well for that many games for people to think of you very well at Sunderland you know we've got a lot of people who hold in high regard who've really done little or nothing in, in reality for the club um, but people love them because of you know the little thing that they did and we're very easy to to please as well as you know, were very easy to annoy. Um, you know, and if you made it at Sunderland, if you did something, then, you know, you'd, you know, you'd never buy a drink here ever again. You know, and that should be the that should be the message to anybody coming in here to play for us. If you do something well, for Sunderland, you will you'll you'll be a legend, and you don't even have to yeah. do that much. So that's yeah. what people should be focusing on, not a few grumbles because of a misplaced pass. Um, I think it's the fact that we know that, and it's it's disappointing that that other people say that that's not the case, and we always have to be using this platform or using other platforms to to defend ourselves. Um, I don't. Is there another club that where the fans are under such scrutiny? You know, it, it just it really frustrates yeah. me that that we're always having to kind of plead our case and saying actually we're not difficult fans. Yeah. You know, we just want a goalkeeper that that can put gloves on without dropping them. We, you know, we we want you know players that just put a, the the requisite amount of effort in and and the golden. We're yeah. good with us if if they do that. Yeah. We're not we're not difficult to please at all. 
I've said this before, but is there a fan base in the country where back-to-back relegations after 10 years of getting beat every week in the Premier League would be well-received and everyone would like give away free hugs with every miss? Like It just doesn't happen. And how, you know, many, of them would, how many of them would get an average attendance of 30,000 in the third division? None. <laughs> None. One opening day win in the last 10 years. 30,000 people there. Um, coming on to Great day of, that as well, though. Sorry. In, yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> coming on to sort of individual um, performances as well. Um, we did a man in the match poll. I think it was Craig who put it out there. And he put some... I can't even remember who was in it, but... It was in, the response was really interesting in that nobody basically had one, um, and there were kind of criticisms of the selections and things like that. And it probably just goes to show that nobody really stood out individually in the game. But I think before the the game, the talk was certainly around about two individuals who start in the game, um, and that was George Dobson and Tom Flanagan. Um, my view was on, on, on Dobson was that I'm not. Massive fan of him, but he did play well during that um, good run we had after Christmas for for quite a long period. And Scone hadn't really done anything, and he had a really bad game in his only start for Sunderland. Um, so it was interesting to see people saying, you know, Scone should be starting instead of Dobson. And Flanagan is the one, and this is probably going to um, sort of have a few people fuming, but. I was really pleased when he signed a new deal and I thought he'd actually been playing well as that left-sided centre-half and stepping out. And he did some really good stuff coming out with the ball at the weekend. Yeah. And I thought he was a pick of the three centre-halves, yet he's the one getting sort of, well, he shouldn't be in the team. And then afterwards, it everything seemed to be, it was Flanagan's, everyone was kind of having to go with Flanagan. So it's all about individual opinions, I get that. But, you know, I, I mean, Dobson's, we're not appearing the red card and he's <clears throat> Scone's gonna get his chance now, so it's it's up to him the next three games to make sure he doesn't lose his place. Um but on Flanagan when you look at the performance of Bailey Wright in the game, and people are talking about Jamali coming into the team, my opinion would be, based on what I've seen so far, is I wouldn't be dropping Tom Flanagan. If you were dropping somebody to get Jamali in, I'd be dropping Bailey Wright. I think I think both both Wright and Flanagan have have got enough, as 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 a phrase that we keep coming back to in this pod, cash in the bank. I think Flanagan certainly last season is was was much improved from from the season before. I was I was a big fan of him towards the end of the year, um, and I, I wasn't surprised to see him in the team sheet at the weekend. Um, no, me neither. No, especially considering Jamali the... Jamali's played a game against. Just some children, and he's yeah. played a, a half against Gateshead. So yeah, it's the same same with Scowen as well. I mean, he he played a full, well, well near as damn it, a full a full game over the week over the over midweek. I wasn't expecting him to go straight into the side. It's good to see that he performed so well, especially yeah. from the from dead ball situation. The set pieces look very promising, um, didn't they? So yeah, yeah, and that that's that's obviously left us with a with a lot of confidence that with with Dobson out, he can he can slot in yeah. quite nicely. Um. But I, I, I certainly think the back three that was played on Saturday should. I, I've got no reason to to say otherwise that that it would be the, and you know, an alter, that I think that's a you know that's a first choice back three for me. Yeah. Mickey, Mick. Yeah, I, I can't really disagree with too much of what's been said. I think um, I agree. Flanagan was okay last season. I'm not his biggest fan, 
But you know, I also agree Jamali's not had enough time to get himself up the match fitness and Flanagan didn't put a foot wrong really on Saturday. I think, like you said, Gareth, he carried the ball out of defence really well and he's not a bad distributor. And one thing which I think's been quite encouraging about Parkinson's recruitment of centre-halves is that um, Morgan Feeney looks like a decent ball-playing centre-half. Bailey Wright's not bad with the ball at his feet. Flanagan's decent with the ball of his feet. Willis is great at bringing the ball out. And Jamali describes himself as a ball-playing defender. So although Parkinson might have a bit of a reputation for going long ball, we've actually got a collection of centre-halves who are quite transitional in terms of one can come out and one come in, but the style of the way that your centre-halves are operating doesn't change very much. So I do think that's one tick in Parkinson's column in terms of his recruitment this summer. Yeah, I'm not having to go Bailey right there, by the way. I mean, he's somebody who's been injured since February um, and he's played a few pre-season games um, and now he's coming in. Um, but what did sort of, you know, sort of finish on this is, you know, going to our recruitment and watching the game is, again, our failure to address um, a lack of pace and power and strength. Um, certainly more the pace side of it um, and you look at the way that Hanlon it was who had a good game against us um, for Gillingham last season um, a couple, on a couple of occasions um, and he absolutely roasted Wright on a few occasions and Bailey Wright should have been sent off without a doubt um, for that second pull back on I don't know why the, the referee bottled it but I'm glad he did Um but it was interesting, wasn't it? That it doesn't feel as though we've got anybody within our group that can do what Hanlon did. And another lad came on on the left hand side for them, off the bench, and was electric, pace wise. I don't know what he's like on the ball, quality wise, but sometimes you just need somebody who's going to come on and be able to run with the ball quickly and and stretch teams with pace. You know, why is it that we fail to? address this you know on repeatedly and it's not just this year it's I mean how long have we been talking about bringing somebody in with with pace mm. since the beginning of three time. leagues ago I think yeah we've been talking about bringing someone in with pace I think what's what's frustrating is uh, and not surprising because we've not been we've not been doing it but when you see this little kind of Chain of transfers that that resulted in Hanlon moving moving from Gillingham to to uh, to Bristol Rovers with Clark Harris going to Peterborough and Ivan Tony going going up a division. You you, you know you you question: Are we in in for those players? Are we ever going to be in for those players? Have we taken a look at the players that are involved and just gone, "Oh, we don't fancy him," um, or is it that the likes of our just our salary cap can't handle it, or the wage the wage demands are, are too high? Um, are we hamstrung by having someone like Will Grigg at the club on 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 big big money? It, it's just just seeing these transfers happen all the time and wonder why we're never in the in the running for them. Well, is handling is, hand, is handling getting more money at Bristol Rovers than he'd get at Sunderland even with a salary cap? I've no idea. That's the thing. Is but I'm not saying we're like we should have on, signed. They can't be on this, millions, can they? But it's in, it's interesting that you know you look at somebody like that who. You know, he, he looked. I thought he looked decent for Gillingham. He looked decent against us again at the weekend. Um, obviously, we've brought Danny Graham in, which I'm not. I'm not entirely just like I'm not like kicking off about it or anything. But 
sometimes it just feels as though why why is it so uh, like obvious to everybody but oblivious to the people who because it it can't be that we can't bring somebody in with pace because other people do so we must be oblivious to it or we just decide to ignore it or we choose that we don't need that yeah and maybe it's maybe it's a geographical thing maybe just players don't want to move up but that, on, that you're seems... in league you're in league one i know that you, that seems a bit old-fashioned i can't though, believe that like no like, yeah sorry like if some, if someone won't not. sign you in that league and you, you're signing somebody from gillingham you, you go to sunderland yeah I, I maintain that and this is probably being proved to be wrong now but we should we should be the biggest draw in this league you know there should be there'll be players at this club now who won't who won't play at a higher level and probably won't get a club as big as us and uh, just by virtue of us being in the in the in the third tier that that they're playing here um so it should be people should be like licking their lips at the prospect of yeah. coming to us even like to have yeah. a look around they're like yeah yeah get me involved with that but <clears throat> Obviously, there must be something putting them off, and whether whether it's the fact that we're not showing any interest in them in the first place, which obviously puts the brakes on any kind of deal. But yeah, you do question why why it's obvious that 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 we are a big draw, but obviously there must be something. I mean, our, our bad recruitment's followed us around, really. I think, um, mm. and I, I don't want to say that in that we haven't made some decent signings, but it feels as though that. The wrong ones or the average ones certainly outweigh the really good ones to the point where the good ones seem like a an accident rather than a you know an achievement. Yeah. Um. But obviously we've got no game in the week because we're not in the the league cup anymore. Um and the idiots will be back on Thursday to preview the Oxford game such a shame that the Oxford games happened so early in the season because obviously last year no. <coughs> we went down there and did the show at the Phantom Brewery which I'm sure would have been on the cards this year um, had 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 the game fallen kindly and obviously we'd been allowed to interact with other human beings um, so you know let's hope that we get promoted and then next season we're playing Reading and uh, you know we can do it then um, but thanks for listening um, and as I say tune in on Thursday and listen to the Idiots preview of that game <laughs>